listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Let me just pray for a moment more, if that's okay. Holy Spirit, we desire you this morning. I ask you to fill this room with your manifest presence, even as you're already here. But we long for more. Lord, we recognize, amen, (laughs) that was a good word from over there, (laughs) got to change and become like a child, or you don't even get in, and Lord, we're hungry for you today, Lord, let all that transpires in the next couple few weeks and beyond position us to receive more deeply. And position a region to receive more deeply of everything that's in your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, um, it's a joy to be here today with you, our spiritual family. We uh, just love being with this house. It's just been such a, it's almost a year now. Can you believe it? We're we're approaching a year in like a week or something. But um, from when we first arrived in Tampa Bay, us Virginians... Um, and uh, it's just been a wild ride and a joyful ride, and I think that the next year, two, three, whatever it is, is going to be awesome. So uh, I want to share a word this morning called the Hope Pathway. just want to set some context for what we're doing from the Bible and just get our hearts. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would just align our hearts this morning. Just help us. How many of you need the Holy Spirit's help? How many of you know that's one of his names, the Helper? The word is the paraclete, the Greek word. Jesus said, it's good that I would go away, which doesn't really make sense to me even to this day. I would think Jesus standing here in a physical body would be about as good as it gets. And he goes, actually, there's something better. I'm going to send the helper. He's going to come alongside you. And he's right here in this room right now. And because of that, not because of our giftedness, but because he is with us, anything's possible. Anything is possible this morning. And I pray that the Lord just tunes us up, yeah, just to his reality. We don't have to work that up. That's real. Um, Before I get into the word, I I had a word for Marcus um, and Desiree. Man, I saw during worship this, like, whirlwind of the Holy Spirit around you. And I just felt like you're coming into a season where you're going to begin to release the Holy Spirit in another level. I feel like the Lord says, I've heard your voice. And I feel like it's not only going to be financial provision, it is financial provision, but it's more than that. I I feel like it's a new anointing that's coming upon you guys to release the Holy Spirit. And I just saw it like a whirlwind around you while while you're you're standing up here. And, um, man, I felt like that there was actually things in the nations for you as well. Like that, I mean, it was so out of left field. I was just trying to worship the Lord. But I saw like Spain and the Canary Islands. I mean, that was like, what in the world? But I don't know if that means anything. But I felt like in North Africa, I felt like there's these regions where in the years to come, there's going to be deposits in you and through you in some of these regions. And um, But I felt like just the faithfulness of your consistency before the Lord, I feel like the Lord's about to honor you publicly. 
with the anointing. Not just finances, but with the anointing. The demonstration of the Spirit's power for both of you as a couple. So let's just, can we pray that for Marcus and Desiree real quick? Lord, we just thank you for this amazing, amazing couple. And Lord, we pray for the wine and the fire and the wind of the Holy Spirit to rest upon them now. We pray that you would make yourself known through them in this next season in new and fresh and powerful ways. I thank you, Lord, that you're opening doors for them that no man can shut. That you make a way where there seems to be no way. I thank you. I just feel that for you guys. The God of the open door. The God who makes a way where there seems to be no way. I thank you. And we just thank you for that whirlwind of the Holy Spirit's activity around their life right now. And we just say more, Lord. More, Lord. Let it increase in their dream life, in their family life, in their finances, in their ministry, in everything that pertains to them. We say open up the door right now. Open the door and make a way where there is no way. And we pray that, I thank you that it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. Come on, 30 seconds. Let's pray for them. Release the anointing of the Holy Spirit on them, Lord. I just feel like the, I saw you guys, and I don't think this is in the natural, but I saw you like being pregnant with the purposes of God. Like there's actually a birthing in this season of things you've contended for, like even old dreams that are beginning to come forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay. All right. Well, I'd love to share with you guys and just set some context. If, if any, I'm going to share a few points. If you were here at the beginning of the Tampa Bay 24 burn, I'm going to hit a few points I did hit then and then hit some new things as well. But I want to, I want to lay a foundation of the word of God so that we have faith not just for the next couple of weeks with the tent, but that we have faith to live before the Lord in a place of spiritual authority. Because when you were born again, you aren't just forgiven of your sins and given an identity as a son or a daughter of God. That's the foundation. You were born again. You're already at the table. Okay, so let's establish that right here in the front end. We're already at the table. You don't have to fight to get to the table. That's the gospel. How many of you know you're already seated with Christ in heavenly places? You don't have to try to get there. You don't have to pray loud enough to get there, fast enough to get there, try hard enough. to. You're already there. Come on. Can I get an amen? We've already arrived in the gospel. Now, that, that's for those that have put their faith in Jesus and repented of their sin and trust him. If you haven't, you can. And it's not based on your works. It's by faith. But I want to say... Uh, today that in that foundation, God didn't just save you so that you're forgiven and that you go to heaven. He now gave you a new place of authority in partnership with him that we now live out of. And I think we're in a training process of how to live out of our new identity. I'm talking to all of us, all of us that have walked with the Lord. We're in a training process on how we live out of our new position in Christ. Because we have more authority corporately than we really fully understand. And so I want to unpack that for a few minutes today because we're in this altar table road journey here 
at Abide. We've been talking about the altar, which is the ministry to the Lord. And I'm going to touch on a little bit of that today again. But, but we also talk about the table, which is our communion with one another in Christ, that, that community that God has established as family before him as the core culture of how we do life together, centered around the body and blood of Christ. And then we have the road, and this is just creative language that we're using here. The road is that missional outward external movement. And so and the amazing thing about God is he, he established these three things, but then he mixes them up too. You can't tell where one starts and the other stops at times. It's like the prayer room becomes missional and then the the missions becomes prayer, and, and, and all of it's done as family. And, and it's just, you, anyway, I love it. But I want to, um, I, I want to unpack some, some Bible foundations this morning because I believe that we're in a season, and maybe this is just true of the human race because of the fall. We're in a season where a predominant emotion in many, many people is the emotion of hopelessness. It's related to our personal circumstances. It's related to global circumstances. If you watch the news for five minutes, it'll affect your emotional life. And it's related to things going on in the church right now. We are in a season of judgment beginning with the household of God, and all kinds of things are unfolding that are things being exposed and challenges we're confronting. And you put all these together, and it is so easy to succumb to the primary emotion of hopelessness or discouragement. And most people, even Christians, believers, walk around mostly discouraged. But how many of you know the Bible talks about a hope that does not disappoint in the gospel? That we're called not some pipe dream, not some wishful thinking or positive, you know, whatever but something rooted in reality. We actually have this morning a hope that will not disappoint us. We can be, even in the midst of global shakings, the most hopeful of people on the planet. And that Jesus has hope for our personal life, but he also has a pathway for us corporately in a region. He has a way forward for us. That's not a mystery. I love that. It's not mysterious. We don't have to figure out the better mousetrap, right? Like some kind of secret code that nobody has figured out about how to move forward. He didn't, he's a mystery, but how to relate to him is not a mystery. A child can understand how to, how to relate to him and how to respond to him. He's mysterious, but he's made it unbelievably clear. And I think sometimes in America, we want a better mousetrap. It's like... There's got to be some creative thing we haven't seen about how we could transform our city. And, and I, I believe in creative strategies. God breathes on that. But the core values are crystal clear and accessible and available. And it's just a question of will we respond? I mean, seriously, will we respond? And so when we, and I've shared this publicly with you guys already, but when we were launching the public communication about the tent here in a couple of weeks, I woke up that morning when all the posts went out on social media and emails and things. I woke up that morning to three dreams from my friend Benjamin. And in the dreams, there was a lot of details about what was happening in the church, but he specifically was asking the Lord about what we're doing. And in it, the Lord began to confront the idea of business as usual in terms of our events. 
And this might sound heavy, but I don't believe it is. I believe it's a joyful invitation. But I, I feel, and in the dream, he said to the Lord, he's standing in front of the Lord in a dream. He's speaking about us. I, I don't know. I, maybe it's just to invite you into the process, but I want to give this to all of you right now. He said, Lord, if they gather, speaking about the tent, to cry out to you, isn't that what you want? And the Lord said, yes, but can they do it? Yes, but can they do it? I, I don't know about you. This is one of my most trusted friends who does hear from the Lord. It's not authoritative like the Bible, but nonetheless, I took that as a very personal word. Yes, but can they do it? I feel that that's an invitation. That's not some heavy, burdensome, okay, we got to just try harder. I'm talking about the Lord saying, I'm inviting you, but will you respond to me? So I want to, and, and the sense we had was that this fam, most famous of verses, I mean, when I preach this verse, I feel almost redundant because if you've been around the body of Christ for any amount of time, it's one of those famous verses that everybody knows and you can quote, but I think we need to revisit it for a minute because I believe it gives us a hope pathway. It's a principle in the Bible that gives us a way to respond to the Lord, to move forward, not just personally, but as a region. And in the promise, he says this to Israel. He said, if my people called by my name will humble themselves, will pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, he gives the promise. I will hear them. I will forgive them and I will heal their land. It's a hope pathway. We have authority in this room, and we'll have authority under that tent, and we'll have authority over the next six months if we will humble ourselves, if we will respond. We have authority to move forward in bold, audacious hope that the land can be healed. And Tampa Bay can see a historic move of God. Revival doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't just happen sovereignly. It is sovereign, but it doesn't just happen in this sudden environment that has no precursor process in it. The Lord's looking for a people that is not, it's built on the foundation of the gospel. We're not striving as orphans to get God's attention. We've got to set the foundation. Now we have access. Now we have authority. Now we can have a hope pathway. Now because of the gospel, your voice can actually shift something in a city in ways that no human ingenuity could ever produce. And I wonder if we know that. I wonder if we lose heart after five minutes because we don't see what we're praying for. But what if a people right here, whatever couple hundred of us are in this room, we said, you know what? I am not going to give up on the hope pathway that Jesus gave us to move in authority for the sake of souls and regions and the harvest. And we started to go, you know what? I, I'm weak. I don't know what I'm doing, but I believe the red letters of Jesus. And I'm going to go, I am going to give myself, not in striving, but because I've already arrived in the gospel. Now I'm going to give myself an authority until there's an open heaven, not just over my spirit, but over a city. Until angels are ascending and descending in Tampa Bay in a way we've never seen before. Who? Oh. 
until pulpits across this city are on fire with more than human eloquence. Until the sick are being healed and the lost are being saved and our children are in the knowledge of God. I wonder if there's anybody that will believe the red letters and take up their place of authority as a people. Not striving. Your voice, unrelenting before the Lord, is not mere noise. It is your gift of God. And I'm just praying that something would get activated. Who cares about a tent unless we are doing 2 Chronicles 7.14? That's why we've made, we have some amazing leaders coming, speakers coming. But we decided we're not even probably going to release the schedule of when people are speaking. I know we got that question. It's not that we're trying to hide it. We just feel this, this, we just feel this like fear and trembling in our heart to go, unless we're actually doing 2 Chronicles 7.14, it can become like a lot of noise. It can, it can become, I, I watched this Francis Chan video the other day. I think it was that Jesus image or something. And he said something about how he was standing on this platform with 10,000 people or whatever it was. And he said, this place is so dangerous. Was anybody there for that night? He was like, this is so dangerous up here. I'm not kidding. It gives an illusion of greatness. And yet God is looking for the humble. He's looking for the broken. He's looking for those that will draw near to him. And I believe that, they're, that that's what this house already is doing and is called to do. But, but I want to just for a moment break down this hope pathway of 2 Chronicles 7.14. Maybe we could read it like you haven't read it before. Would that be okay? Like maybe we're just not familiar. Let's look at, you know the context. Dedication of Solomon's temple. Glory of God fills the temple to such a powerful way the priest can't stand. Do you remember the story? And it's a huge moment in redemptive history, a massive moment in the history of Israel. The temple was established. The glory of God comes in. Solomon is engaging with the Lord, and the Lord, right in the middle of that glory fest, speaks this verse. He tells him, this is what I want you to understand Israel. Now, this principle goes right through the New Testament, goes right into the book of Acts. So, yes, this is an Old Testament passage to the people of Israel in the context of Solomon's temple. But the principle of this is what you see flesh out in the book of Acts and the history of revivals and transformation and moves of God because the principle is not some set of external behaviors but it is God himself. Can you hear that? It's the actual personal presence of God himself that is the hope pathway. It's not an external religious activity that he's going to... We're not trying to dot our I's and cross our T's and check the box and act right so God will pay attention. That's not this. But here it is, the, the, the reality. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I will heal their land. 
So let's break this down for a moment. Number one, if my people. So here's the thing. It's optional. If we, if we humble ourselves. Now, we don't want to hear that. We don't want the if. Let's just be honest. We, we don't like the if. Let's just say it's already done in the gospel, right? Which it is. It's finished. We're not talking about earning something from God. But that the Lord is looking for a response of faith. And, and the if is there. How many of you see the if in there? Does that if bother you? It's bothersome, but actually, it's, it's something better than bothersome. It's glorious. It starts by bothering us, but it ends by fascinating us. Wait a minute. You will respond if? We can change the atmosphere of a city if? We could turn nations if? We could affect our families if? And it's not this mysterious Rubik's Cube that nobody can figure out. How many of you are grateful for that? I'm just like so thankful that God's not built some religious witchcraft system where you got to quote the right thing. And that's witchcraft. You got to do everything. It's external. You got to perform. You got to get it. That's not God's system. He's a father. And he goes, if you come, I will. Just if you keep coming, I will. I'll do what you could never do, Tampa Bay. You don't have to stay where you are. I know there's a bunch of leaders in the city that are believing God for one million people to be saved in 2024 in the Tampa Bay region. I think that's the most audacious. And these are respectable people like Geo. They're not, you know, people like me. I'm just kidding. No, it's, it's leaders from all over the city. But he says, if. And it's not just my person, it's my people. It's corporate. It's corporate. What that means is, if you're running a business, and you're raising your kids, and you don't feel like you're in the ministry, you don't feel like your voice really matters, guess what? You're part of the symphony. If you and me, if we would humble ourselves. Now, I want to talk about, just for a moment, I want to talk about humility. Because when you, when you hear a phrase like humble themselves, it's so easy to feel like humble yourself is like beat yourself up, super negative, make yourself feel bad. That's not humbling ourselves. God's not trying to make us feel bad about ourselves as the goal here. He's inviting us into the culture of the Trinity. He's inviting us into the culture of heaven. There's a really, really great book um, by a guy named Andrew Murray called Humility. I would encourage you. It's a short book, but I believe that understanding the central role of humility in God's purposes is one of the most life-changing revelations you could ever get. What it will do is it will provoke you to pursue humility and meekness as a primary life goal for the rest of your life when you understand what it is. Because humility equals greatness in God's kingdom. 
Humility is that primary posture of heart from which all other things ultimately flow in your life. Can you hear that? Humility is not a spiritual gift that one or two people have. It's the entry point to everything God has. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so to understand, I pray that we would get jealous for humility. A couple definitions. John Piper says, it's to feel and think and say and act in a way that shows I am not God. To feel and think and act and say in such a way that shows that I am not God. I'm utterly dependent on God. That's the essence of sin, isn't it? It's when we remove ourselves from utter dependency and create our own way. That's the essence. That's the problem with the human race. So to return to humility is not to be negative on ourselves; It's to acknowledge our reality. Andrew Murray said, when I look at my own experience, along with that of other Christians I've known throughout the world, I am amazed how little humility is sought after as the distinguishing feature, the distinguishing feature of being Jesus' disciple. In the activities of daily life in the home and with others, and in the more special fellowship with Christians as we work for Jesus, there is far too much evidence that humility is not held up as the highest character trait to seek after. People don't seem to realize that humility is the only root out of which other good character traits can possibly grow. It's the one indispensable condition of true fellowship with Jesus. It's the one indispensable condition of true fellowship with Jesus. It's to acknowledge, to feel, to live out of our utter need. How, now, how many hear that as really great news? The gospel's not work yourself up, get stronger, fix yourself. The gospel is acknowledge your utter dependency and I'll meet you there. The weak people qualify, not the strong people. It's the best news ever. We read verses like this. We're like, oh, my gosh, we got to humble. It's going to be so hard. I gotta... And God's like, no, I just want you to die. I just want you to give up. Not give up on joy and happiness and his purposes. Give up on your own ability to ever execute those purposes. That's the freest thing ever. I'm crucified with Christ, and yet I live, but no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. You're free. You're crucified. You're humble. You're dependent. You don't have it in yourself. You know you don't have it in yourself. And in the midst of this, let me tell you one thing God is doing. He is in absolute joyful controversy with celebrity Christianity. Oh, my gosh. Everybody duck. I'm not kidding. Duck. Because Jesus has a controversy with celebrity Christianity. That doesn't mean people being well-known is wrong, obviously. People are, Jesus was well-known. But it's how we hold ourselves and how we relate to people that he's dealing with. Okay, so humility is the nature of God himself. Humility is how we relate to God, and it's how we relate to others. Look at this verse in Matthew 11. I think we have it in there. It says, uh, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. What's his yoke, I wonder? And learn from me. 
Learn what? For I'm gentle and humble. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me, he says, for I'm gentle and humble. And what he's talking about is how we treat other people right there. He's not just talking about how we humble ourselves before the Lord. He's talking about how we relate to other humans. We humble ourselves. And I love that it says humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and then he will exalt you. I want to appeal to us to make the pursuit of humility and meekness a primary life goal for the rest of your life. How do you treat people? Do you like Jesus, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross? And therefore, God has exalted him and given him the name that is higher, that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue would confess that he's Lord. God exalts the humble, only the humble, only ever the humble. And in the age to come, the only people that are going to rule and reign in any degree of significance are the humble. So if this is where we're going, what if we redefine greatness and how can I leverage whatever resources I have for other people's benefit? You know, like the self-help books, and it's infiltrated the church. Like, care, like, look out for number one. Take, you know, take care of yourself as your primary focus. And I believe in self-care because you can't love people if you're falling apart. But the point is to love people. Not to just protect yourself. I mean, isn't this, it's like everywhere. Anyway, I'm talking too long on this point. But he says, hope pathway number one, we humble ourselves. We turn from celebrity Christianity and we go, you know what, God? Only you can do this. We're going to go low, not high. We're not going to compete. Let's, what does this mean? We don't get to compete anymore. We don't get to fight for our own positions anymore can you hear it it means that we release control what if what if a million people in tampa bay released control stopped fighting with each other and went low what would happen in our city what if our dream was to serve other people because that's what Jesus calls great. What if that dream, inf- I remember when it infected my heart. I'm not saying I've arrived, but it infected my heart in my 20s. Something clicked and I went, oh my gosh, the meek inherit the whole earth. This is what I want. I want to learn how to love people. Okay, so that point number one. Point number two, pray and seek my face. Now, this is worship and prayer. But I want to um, read four passages quickly. These are four verses from the what we call the upper room discourse. These are Jesus as Matthew, excuse me, John thirteen through seventeen. It's either called the farewell discourse or sometimes called the upper room discourse. It was Jesus' final statement before the cross, and we all know last words are pretty important. It's his final teaching to his 12, and then the, the high priestly prayer to God in John 17 that we all get to hear and see and be a part of. These are, but the thing that strikes me, and this is what I did mention on Friday night, a couple, what, last week, 
is the, how central in Jesus' final teaching of the Upper Room Discourse, the asking is. Maybe, that, maybe we just glaze by it, but let's look at it quickly. John 14, 12 through 14. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask in my name. So the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything. Everybody say that. Anything. Anything in my name. And I will do it. John 15, 7 through 8. If you remain in me or abide in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So the much fruit is in the context of what? The ask. Whatever you wish. Do you see that? Church of Tampa Bay, do you see it? Whatever you speak to him about and continue to speak to him about, even in the delays, you keep speaking to him about it. Whatever you wish, I will do it, he says. But he doesn't just say it twice. In the same final message, John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that... Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I'm praying this gets in our spirit, you know, like something gets in you. Like you just start asking. It it changes your lifestyle. John 16, verse 23, same sermon, upper room discourse, farewell message of Jesus before the cross. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Everybody say whatever. Does anybody believe this? When we gather under that tent, what 2 Chronicles 7.14 is saying is that in a moment of crisis, you don't have to just work harder to fix yourself. You have to draw near and talk to him. I, I don't think we get this. Do you get how profound this is? He doesn't say, just work a lot harder. and He goes, Come to me, go low, and talk to me. I'll do whatever you wish. With a twinkle in his eye, thus says the Lord, ask whatever you wish. But you start to shift from just asking for your own stuff into intercession. You start to shift because this is how spiritual authority actually works. You guys know that. I got this Walter Wink quote. I I always like to read it because it, I think we have it in there. Here it is. Intercessory prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the way of what God has promised. Intercession visualizes an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Things don't have to stay the way they are right now in Tampa Bay. If we will lift our voices and keep lifting our voices in singing and prayers and joy and contending, and we will see the suffocating atmosphere of the spirit of the age. 
And when we get under that tent, we're not there for some, like, whatever. We're there because we dare to believe this stuff. We dare to base our life on it. We dare to go, you know what? I don't, I know that, that this area of, of Florida is known for human trafficking. But guess what? I know that there's a generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, that desperately needs a historic move of God. Has to have it. Not an option. But guess what? We're going to fuse the air of the present with the age to come. How? We're going to lay hold. I'm talking about normal people. I'm not talking about Lou Engle, who I love. I'm talking about you and me. Like Reese Howells, who was a coal miner who worked long hours in 1904, 5, 6, 7, 8 in, in Wales. And he got a hold of intercession and he started talking about what he would call the, the gained position of authority. Now, not gained in the sense of our works, but gained in the sense of our faith. In our cooperation, he, he talked about God sent him on assignments. I just want us to get it. I want us to go, you know what? I'm going to pray through. Oh, look, there he is. Whoa. He showed up. I, I didn't know that was going to happen. I actually did not know that was going to happen. What's up, Reese? Yep, I did talk about your ears last time, Reese. They're special. <laughs> that was amazing. Good shot. <laughs> but I, I wanted you to see the picture because sometimes black and white pictures actually make it seem more distant. But I want you to know it's real people. A coal miner from, who, who prayed through for his uncle's supernatural healing, for the hardest people in his village that were drunks and alcoholics on the street to be saved, ended up praying through for the ending of World War II. Reese Howell's intercessor, buy the book. But, but I think we need to learn from the Father. I was going to reference as well um, Frank Bartleman and William Seymour. Do we have that one? Come. Oh, look at that. Spiritual authority. See, your words have authority. See, this was an object lesson. <laughs> Excuse me. So Frank Bartleman is the white guy on the front. William Seymour is the black guy in the front. They were friends in Los Angeles, 1906. You guys know this story? Listen to the words of Frank Bartleman, the guy with the mustache. It's a pretty sick mustache, actually. Pretty amazing. He says, by this time, the spirit of intercession had so possessed me that I prayed almost day and night. I fasted much also. The sorrows of my Lord had gripped me. I was in Gethsemane with him. At times I was afraid that I might not live to see the answer to my prayers and tears for revival, but he assured me, sending more than one angel to strengthen me. My life by this time was literally swallowed up in prayer. I was praying day and night. I would lie in my bed in the daytime and groan under the burden. At night, at night I could scarcely sleep for the spirit of prayer. At one time, I was in soul travail for nearly 24 hours without remission. 
He says, it's very easy to choose second best. The prayer life is needed much more than buildings or organizations. These are often substitutes for the other. Souls are born into the kingdom through prayer. I wonder if there's any normal people in this room that work normal jobs and have busy lives that could lay hold of something like this. You don't have to be 24 hours under travail. Maybe that happens. Maybe that doesn't. That's not the point. The point is there's a spirit of prayer. There's a help of the Holy Spirit. I remember I told a story this past Friday night at the burn, but man, like I remember something hit my heart with these testimonies when I was like 19, 20 years old, and I wrote down this prayer list, and I, I decided I was going to post it everywhere that I was. It was next to my bed. It was on the steering wheel of my car. One, two, three, four, five, six. And I decided I'm daring to believe all this stuff, and I just went after it. Month after month after month, year after year, and certain things it was months and years of talking to God about. But I want to tell you something as a testimony. God, in his grace, supernaturally set things in motion in my life that I could have never, ever in a million years contrived. I'm telling you right now, the testimony of God's goodness. I told the story again. Again, if you were there, I'm sorry. But I remember when I was a kid, Really, kids, do you guys remember the first prayer the Lord ever answered for you? Does anybody have to remember that? I remember my first prayer that was answered. I was eight years old. I think it was second grade. Maybe I was seven. Second grade, the white elephant, second grade, Christian school, Christmas party. It's a lot on the line. It was a big moment, you know, like these, these moments don't happen every day. The white elephant... Christmas party, seven years old. And every seven-year-old little boy in my class had these things called micro-machines. Now, I just, just as a quick poll, anybody ever heard of, who, who knows what micro-machines, oh my gosh, you guys don't even know what micro-machines are. They're little, tiny little cars and little vehicles. They're micro-machines, see, micro-machines. And every little boy had these bags of, I mean, nowadays, whatever it is, the, at that, maybe Pokemon cards. I don't know what they do now. But in my day, it was micro, and everybody came in at recess. They'd all whip out their micro machines, and we would trade them. Come on, there's a lot on the line here. This was a big deal. But I didn't have any micro machines. And every day at recess, poor little David Bradshaw suffering with no micro machines. And all the little boys are like, I got this one. I got new micro. And they're, they're trade. I don't know why they trade them. It's like you, every day they, they just cycle through. The, the micro machine would just cycle through. And I had none. And it was the White Elephant Christmas party. But we couldn't buy micro machines for the White Elephant because they were too expensive. You had the price limit. The micro machine company, I don't even know what it was, did a good job by making them very expensive. Those toy companies. And, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm seven years old. I'm like, Lord, I know you're not supposed to have micro machines. I know mom said it's too expensive, but please, please give me a micro machine. (laughs) And the white elephant, everybody exchanges. I open mine, micro machines. The only one in the class to get micro machines. I took those things home and I said, Jesus gave me these micro machines. (laughs) I put them in a little thing. I showed up for recess the next day. I said, I got, you guys trading today? <laughs> Is the shop open? Because I got some micro machines. Put them out. Did a trade or two. It's a good day. <laughs> I 
Oh, man. Somebody needs to give her a bonus in the back. <laughs> so here's why I tell that story. Because years later, I was fasting and praying for revival. We were doing our first ever Awaken the Dawn event. We prayed and fasted for 21 days. I'll never forget the first session of that event. The glory of God falls. I remember kids coming up, cry, soaking my shirt in their tears, saying, I'm never going to be the same. And they aren't. That, I'm one of those kids is on the mission field right now. And I remember the angelic stuff, too many stories to tell. And it shocked me. And I remember at the end of that thing, we'd gone 21 days. And this little kid walks up to me. And he goes, I don't know why, but I feel like I need to give you this. And he pulls micro machines out of his pocket. And he goes, I felt like God told me to give you these. I don't know why. And immediately, I remember the first prayer Jesus ever answered. And immediately, the Lord was like, I heard you then. I hear you now. Then you were asking for micro machines. Now you're asking for your generation. Your voice moves his heart even in your weakness. And when we get under that tent, I dare you to lift your voice for three days. And then I dare you to do it for the next six months and the next six years. And let's shift Tampa Bay. We don't have to leave. If Jesus can give a seven-year-old boy some micro-machines, he can awaken a whole region. Come on, anything's possible. We want to see hundreds and hundreds of angels unleashed in our city. We want to see the sick healed, the dead raised, the blind see. Come on, anything, anything. Ask whatever you wish. Listen, I, I just want to remember the words of the Apostle Paul here for a second. Listen to Paul. Paul knew how spiritual authority works. Listen to him. Romans 1.10, without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. 2 Timothy 1.3, I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers, day and night. Ephesians 1.15-16, therefore, also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Colossians 1.9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, Colossians. 2 Corinthians 11.28, Besides other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Philippians 1, 3 through 4, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayers and supplications to the end, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Do we know how spiritual authority works? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Paul knew how spiritual authority works. So he says, pray and seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways. Now the turning from our wicked ways, again, this is not fixing ourselves by our own strength. How many of you know when you turn, you turn from and you turn to? you got to turn from, but you also got to turn to. I'll tell you one of the things that the turning from is right now. Some of us need to embrace the confessional lifestyle. we got to actually confess our sins and do whatever it takes. You don't fix yourself. You just turn. Do you understand? You actually have to turn. Make a choice to turn. But you don't just turn from because the accountability structures are needed. 
I've been embracing new accountability structures myself, just fresh ones, just like God, I've got it. I just want it in my life. I, to be honest with you, I shared my login to all my email accounts and Google and everything with people, trusted people, and post them on the internet, <laughs> trusted people. And I said, I just, I want to be absolutely open book with you guys. Anytime, go in and just look at every search. I just want everything. Not because I'm special. I'm just saying we need, we need the accountability structures. But how many of you know that doesn't change you? That protects you. You got to turn from, but you got to turn to. Which is this. Seek my face means seek my presence. It means we lean into the superior joy. I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I feel like the core issue here is idolatry. It, people... We idolize each other our own ways. How many of you know we've got to trust God for our money, our sexuality? A lot of people, they don't want God's way of sexuality because they don't really believe it's going to fulfill joy. But we've got to humble ourselves and go, you know what? I'm going to agree with your way. Yeah. Or our marriages or our families or our ministry assignments or whatever it is, we've got to turn from our ways. That's it. And, and I believe in the turning, there is a drinking. I'm going to tell you a scripture right now that you all know, but I'm going to say it by faith. Your love is better than wine. Come on. When that tent goes up, there is no joy like God himself. We know this theologically, but it's our lifeline. Amen. Now, I'm going to end with this. I hope that this hope pathway clicks in our heart. I, I just hope we have faith to go as a region. What if? Who knows? You know that verse in Joel 2 after it says, blow the trumpet, consecrate a fast. He says all, and then he goes, and who knows? I'm not coming to you today saying if we set that tent up, we're guaranteed X, Y, and Z. I'm coming to you going, who knows? Who knows what could happen? If Tampa Bay comes as one voice and lifts their voice and then continues and goes for it for you, what could happen? Anything could happen. Who knows? But I remember years ago, you know, this tent is a weird strategy. I, I didn't, I wanted to get out of tent ministry. I told our team we're never doing a tent again. Seriously, I really told them all. And then we get under the tent. We were going to do one. I was like, this is the last one we're doing. This was 2011. I'm like, we're done. And this old prophetic man comes in there, pulls us in the side tent. He goes, I got a word for you, young man. He's like 86 years old. He's gone on to be with the Lord. He goes, you know what? You're going to be part of a tent movement. I'm like, listen to this guy like, <laughs> nice. He goes, it's going to be a Holy Spirit Woodstock. The youth of America will gather. It's going to be Porter Johns and hot dog stands beyond your wildest imagination. How many of you know God has strategies that aren't ours? But there's a festival coming around the glory of God. Seriously, Isaiah 24, Isaiah 42, he goes, the, from the ends of the earth, there's going to be singing. Isaiah 42, he goes, he goes, the mountaintops and the cities and the coast, the whole world is going to sing a song. And, he, and in Isaiah 24, it gives the name of the song, glory to the righteous one. The song of Jesus is going to fill public places all over the world as part of God's strategy. Yeah. Who comes up with this stuff? It's in there. It's in the book of Acts. 
So it's not just contending intercession. It's also drinking deeply, enjoying, creative encounters. Express. It's a Holy Spirit Woodstock. It's a festival around the presence. And I remember all that happened, and I get out to California, and I'm trying to meet. There's a really good friend of mine who's gone on to be with the Lord. His name's Brian Brent. He started Circuit Riders with YWAM, Brian and Christy. Christy had been supernaturally healed after 36 years of bedridden with severe Lyme's disease. She's supernaturally healed. They're in Southern California. And I remember I'm sitting there in their garage. I'm hearing the story of the healing. And she goes, do you know what God said to me? That when I got healed, there would be a tent movement all over the nation. And I'm sitting there like, what? And they have this poster board on the wall of this word that I had just found myself from a lady. Her name was Jill Austin. She died in 2009, the night we launched our house of prayer in Virginia. And she had a word that what she was carrying was about to be given to the next generation. Then she died the night of our launch. And somebody gave us this word, and we started praying it. Well, I didn't know Brian Brent had it, but he had it written on a poster board like that big, hung all over his garage wall. We met at a restaurant for dinner. Anybody know who Brian Brent is? It's okay if you don't. He was unbelievably catalytic in the nations. I miss him dearly. He, he changed my life. We're sitting in some restaurant in Los Angeles to meet for lunch, and he walks into the restaurant with the poster boards. <laughs> and he puts them down on the table and goes, I got the word. I'm like, all right, Brian. So we sit there in that conversation. She's healed. She tells the encounter, and she goes, and I wrote down, I had my journal, and I wrote down, I said, Brian, the tents are a silver bullet for the move of God. Meaning we got to get outside of our four walls. We got to come together. We got to lift our voices. Do 2 Chronicles 7, uh, 14 and preach the gospel. Everybody gets, and I'm saying, and we're going, and I wrote it down. The tents are a silver bullet. I get back to this session in San Diego. I drove from LA back down to Orange County, back down to, to uh, San Diego. And I'm sitting there and this lady walks up to me. I'm looking at the phrase I wrote in my journal. The, the tents are a silver bullet for the move of God. We got to get outside our four walls. And this lady walks up, and I have it sitting on my dresser right now. She pulls a silver bullet out of her pocket. And she goes, the Holy Spirit told me to give you this, and I don't know why. And it's a real silver bullet, like the kind that could kill someone. (laughs) And I'm like, what? I'm looking at my journal, and I stood up, and I said, I was just at Brian's house, and he read this word, and I believe it's a silver bullet. Every once in a while, you get a prophecy that's just more than the normal routine thing. And what I'm going to do right now is I want to read that word. Can we put that? See if we have that one. Come. Oh, man. I I need to intercept. Is it down, really? Oh. (laughs) Do you have that one? Oh, sweet. Oh, no. It's got to go. You got to go to the first slide. Next one. Okay. Here we go. You ready? I'm going to end by reading this prophecy from Jill Austin that they quoted when they gave us the silver bullet that was all over the wall with Brian. And every once in a while, you get a word and you go, you know what? Sometimes you got to war with the prophecies. And I want to war with this over the next two weeks, okay? So we don't have to read it out loud together, but just I wanted you to see it with your eyes. This isn't the Bible. It's not authoritative. But occasionally, you get a word in your life that you're like, you know what? I'm going to war with this one. And here it is. She said this. All of a sudden, what I kept seeing was these tents. God mentioned the tent, and the Lord said, tent of glory, tent of meeting, tabernacling, tabernacling, tabernacling. He says, I am going to tabernacle. I kept seeing like a tent city. 
I kept seeing a warehouse over this tent, and the warehouse had body parts in it, and this warehouse had body parts. Obviously, this is a spoken word, so. (laughs) This warehouse had body parts. It was body parts of the miraculous. What I kept seeing was new hearts coming down. I kept seeing new hearts coming down. I kept seeing new legs coming down. The Lord said, you're even going to be seeing crippling diseases being healed. He said, I'm going to open blind eyes. I'm going to open deaf ears. I'm going to deal with MS. I'm going to deal with insanities. And the Lord says it's going to be like Moses. And what I kept getting was Moses. It's Exodus 19. I felt like the Lord said that many of you are going to be going up into heaven on the Sapphire Sea and eating with the Lord. And many of your places are going to be places of visitation. It's going to be a place of heaven touching earth. It's not only going to be the miraculous. In Exodus, it talks about how a company of them, how 70 of them went up to the Sapphire Sea and they ate with him. And I just feel God is going to bring an anointing coming into places of heavenly dimensions, heavenly visitations, and eating with him. I don't even know what that means. But I also feel like the Lord says, get ready. I'm going to release profound new kinds of visitations. I'm going to take you into that smoky black realm of God. What I kept seeing is the fear of the Lord. What I kept seeing was the holiness of God. I saw a lot of fun. I saw this place of real family and intimacy. But I feel like the Lord said, is that a priest? Is that a priest? You are going to be releasing mantles of the ones that will minister to the Lord. But minister to the people and come with the sword of the Lord. And again, I saw the anointing for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And what I saw was the voice of healing. What I saw was this magazine of the voice of healing. But the Lord said it's going to be different. It's not just going to be the faces of 10 or 11 men. But the Lord said a new breed of apostolic five-folders. What I saw was tent meetings, face-to-face encounters with God. And the other thing I kept seeing was circuit riders. I felt like the Lord's going to set apart a group of men and women. They're going to catch fire, and they're going to go into the beachheads. They're going to get up tents into fields. The people are going to come because there's going to be so much healing. It's going to be like the old-time healing days. It's going to be sparked. I am going to give you revelation to break open. Okay, last bit. And there's going to be a sound. And there's going to be an angel now. There's going to be an angel that's going to stand over the tent. And there's going to be like a trumpet. And there's going to be the sound of trumpets. I feel like the Lord says, I'm going to give you revelation from the counsels of God to break open mysteries, to break open seals, to break over things that are over. It's like you're going to have an understanding of the word and the spirit. But I see that angels are going to be releasing a sound. And people are going to say, I just don't want to go to that conference. I want to go where the tent meetings are emerging all over the nations. There's going to be a catalytic spark. He's going to start to birth it. But it's going to start to become a new kind of thing where people are going to want to come and sit in the dirt. And the Lord says there's a new anointing and it's tabernacling. It's an anointing of the tent of meeting. It's the anointing of houses of prayer on the move. It's like a moving throne. It's like a moving place of my glory. I feel the Lord says I'm on the move. My glory is on the move. It's going to look very different. I want you to be hungry. I want you to be ones that go into whole communities. Amen. There's a part in the word. I don't know if it got in there. She says it's not going to be like the old conference thing. The Lord's breaking. Now, that's, that's maybe different language than I would use or you would use. That's Jill in her prophetic flow. But I don't know. There's moments where a word hits you. When Brian wrote that on that thing, prophetic stuff can be a little cryptic at times. But I, I don't know. I feel like the houses of prayer on the move are wrecking my heart right now. The, the breaking of celebrity Christianity, the invitation to tabernacle. Is there anybody that's willing to shift your schedule with a bunch of people and just tabernacle with the Lord? It's not even that Francis Chan will be there. It's that we're going to, he and us all are going to tabernacle with the Lord. We're going to just go in and some of you might be like, well, I can't go in day and night. Just come when you can. 
But set aside time and let your voice be part of Second Chronicles 7.14. Right there in your own language, your own sound. It doesn't look and sound like me. But I want to tell you right now, this Holy Spirit Woodstock, it's a weird phrase. But Jesus is calling for a festival around the presence and the gospel. And, and he's going to do it. So can we stand together? Sorry, I went a little long. Can we stand together? Let's pray right now. Let's pray for God's grace to actually do 2 Chronicles 7.14. Can we ask him for grace? Lord, I pray over the next couple of weeks for grace to respond to you. Grace to humble ourselves. Grace to lift our voices. Grace to live as a royal priesthood. Lord, that would shift the trajectory of a region. Come on, let's go right in right now. We can do this right now. We're going to end here in just a second. I know we ran a little bit over. But let's lift our voices now and let's ask him, King of glory, we ask you for your help to actually do this. Business owners, moms, dads, children, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, we pray that a sound would come from Tampa Bay that has never been heard before. We pray that Isaiah 24 song of glory to the righteous one would literally fill a region in the next two weeks and beyond. God, I pray that you would give a people the grace that William Seymour and Frank Bartleman began to touch in the, in the early 20th century in Los Angeles when you poured out that Azusa Street outpouring through them and it shifted the nations. Never got to the end of the story, but it shifted the nations with the Azusa Street outpouring because of the faithfulness of a few men lifting their voices. I pray that something would happen in even the Abide community, Lord, where we would find a fresh grace to not relent. A fresh grace. Lord, we pray for the houses of prayer on the move. We pray for the fields being filled with young people. Lord, not some kind of hype, but Lord, spirit and truth. God, authenticity, God. In Jesus' name, let the gospel be declared. And let many respond, God. In Jesus' name. I want to...